0: for the first time and uh, oh, receiving this message. We are Ken Jennings and John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was, the early twenty first century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization,
1: You have accessed entry 088.rv1703. Certificate number 36297. The Babylon working.
0: That's not a sentence. Mr. Mojo Rising? The um I guess the first thing for the far distant future to understand is that we're currently living in a, an odd era of inflection when it comes to religious belief.
1: Um, I mean, I think the first thing that the far future needs to understand is that we used to think that time was linear. And future existed. Yeah, and so the, they're they're at a flat circle. And our, they're-
0: so our compatriots... Yes, who, are, who are right now simultaneously listening on a different part of a four dimensional solid we call time space? That's right. Hello, friends, neighbors. Well, I wish we could countrymen. see you, but so far we don't have the tech. Perhaps you can see us, yeah. in which case, stop looking at us when we're going to the bathroom. We don't like it. <laughs> but after we establish that,
1: that, a component
0: of that, an important component for today's entry in the omnibus would be. The Odd State of Religion at Our Current Moment. This is a story set in the uh, early to mid 20th century and even here in the early 21st century, we're at a time where there's a huge chunk of the planet that thinks of religion as just a necessary benchmark for stable society and a life well lived, like a really a minimum low bar, uh, uh, taken for granted as something that everyone needs and should want. Do you have a statistic about how large that chunk is? Well, it's it's difficult to pull. You know, when you ask, because asking people about their, you know, do you consider yourself religious? Do you attend services? Um, There's a whole lot of gray area there. You know, many people will generally believe in a higher power, but don't consider themselves religious. Many people will consider themselves religious, but have never been inside a church synagogue or mosque, you know? uh, What's the current status of China
1: in terms of I know this there's no state religion, but like are are most
0: people in China practicing? yeah, they're all Lutherans, some kind of Lutheranism <laughs> no the, the global religion the, the majority do practice some kind of melange of Buddhism, Confucianism and and Taoism, which you know straddles an, uh you know many practices that would be considered I mean along the lines of uh you know Western celebrations of Christmas where it's a secular holiday with with deep religious roots that are still there for many people, I think there's a there's a broad variety of festivals and traditions in the Chinese life and calendar that um, that, that are religious or ha- yeah religious- have clear connections to yeah. religious um, what forebears.
1: But you can also celebrate them as secular holidays.
0: Yeah, and 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 they're and moving into the realm of superstition as well. Well, of course, I'm going to cut out. Um, yellow circles and place them on this altar once a year. This is the day where that gives gold to my uncle in the afterlife. Of course. Oh, oh, you believe you're going to be with your uncle in the afterlife? Oh, Lord, no. You know, it's, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, who? And you yeah. know, you ask somebody on different days of the week, and you're going to get different answers. There's a longitudinal study that I think gets done by Pew Research in America that asks people: Do you believe in God? Do you attend services? Do you believe uh, Scripture to be the Word of God? Do you? Um, uh, do you believe in an afterlife? And those numbers, you can see pretty steady declines over the last 50 years in all except for afterlife. Afterlife belief has been rising. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, that's I, telling.
0: I guess they all believe they're going to be uploaded to the
1: cloud. I don't really believe in a religion, but yes. I don't like church or the heaven. Bible, but I am 100% going to heaven. I've been thinking about this a lot because we're now, once again, embroiled in a kind of church and state separation argument in our in our nation. Yes. And you and I lived through you know, most of our childhood uh during a time when <clears throat> when um institutional uh promotion of religion was on the wane mm-hmm. we uh Charlie Brown no longer appeared. On uh, on television, you know, kneeling in front of a in front of a star, he did
0: every year. But we started to see it as an odd throwback uh, right. a, and source of uh, and source possibly of uh, you know a comedic trope.
1: And a lot of this was was really driven by a desire you know, by a conviction that we needed to exercise religion. I thought you were going to say Satan, but we okay, gonna, we needed to a exercise First, Satan, get Satan out of Regan. and and then religion as a whole, and and. And, it, you know, we all accepted it as an article
0: of faith, like, we the, need— This is a good pluralistic society. This is how <laughs> school will be, and it's weird if there's prayer. No prayer. And and then the other day I was
1: thinking, wait a minute, we did it completely backwards. How do you like mean? Well, the Netherlands, for instance, are uh, uh, one of the countries that reports the least number, you know, the, the least amount of sort of relig- re- religiosity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yet— they celebrate every single holiday. It's like on- China.
0: It's it, they, they kept all the festivities.
1: Every saint, every single time, some someone in the Christian calendar stubbed their toe. There's a day off from work.
0: Don't forget to wear some weird uh, this piece of jewelry of a weird color. It's um, Saint Agnetha's day. It's and it's absolutely genius because they have like 90 more
1: holidays than we do. And I was thinking, plus the merchandising. Yeah, in our pluralistic society with religions from around the world, we could have 200 days a year off from work. If we just if we just said no 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 we are celebrating every holiday equally every single holiday is the same as Christmas
0: like you would have Diwali and Ramadan stuff in the dollar store one hundred percent and and I mean it'd basically be every other Monday off the uh, yeah we did it the wrong way even for even for religion we got <laughs> and, and for secularists we got rid of all the fun decorations right? and foodstuffs and uh, and but we still have the we still have the culture war and the xenophobia and all the downsides of religion
1: yeah we drove we drove all the we drove all the mainstream Christians underground and made them feel persecuted and made them join school boards <laughs> and,
0: they had no other choice and we lost all the holidays oh it's so infuriating and even when it comes back they're gonna be like oh no we won't have Halloween parties in this in this elementary school in Georgia Uh they're not going to want to have the the, we, the, the parties of religious origins because they're they're no fun. Yeah, in
1: 1979, we could have said, "Okay, you get prayer in schools, but we get equal time to do Halloween prayers in schools." <laughs> like we we get equal. We're going to have you know every day we're gonna we're we're gonna uh, pray to to Mecca like six times. Well, a have, day. have you been
0: following all the malicious compliance related to some of these new religious laws? No, you know. F- Florida says, um, here's the new series of things you can't say in school, you know, and and, uh, and now, you know, atheist groups are going to start suing to say, hey, this teacher said he was a man. And the law is written to say you can't talk about your gender. Oh,
1: that's Well, yeah, but funny.
0: he's but he's a cis man. Yeah, but read the law. You know? Oh, lol. Or people who you know, or all the book banning laws. Generally, no matter how they're written, would tend to ban the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> right. Of course, it's full of rape. So you get a lot of these petitions saying, "Hey, no book has more uh, violence and right. uh, sexual no-nos than than the Bible." So all of this is backwards. We should have we should have been the entire time saying
1: every. Crazy religion, gets equal time in schools, Every, we could
0: it would be two hours a day just praying, but to a pantheon of gods. Do you, think, do you think people would get bored? All right, everybody turn and face East, now we're doing Mecca. All right, everybody turn and face this picture of the horned satanic god Baphomet. <laughs> Are you saying that kids aren't bored in school? As eh, it stands, I guess this way maybe you'd at least be doing different postures. Well, and think about it. it's. I mean, we we press the physical fitness test because of all the kneeling.
1: We we put such a premium on on cultural exchange. What better ground groundwork to uh, to cultural exchange than to learn the intricacies of every single religion?
0: I think that's a non-starter for people of almost all religions yeah. who all are gar- uh, agree on one thing: there is one religion that should be in the public sphere. They can't agree on which one it is, unfortunately. If they could just get together on that and be like, we've decided we've decided it's uh, Zoroastrianism it's Eastern Orthodox I love this every religion gets 10 minutes right up front at the top of the school day it's like the equal time laws on the on the airwaves exactly hey I'm sorry we just we just said a Judeo-Christian prayer so now
1: and now here comes a, here, a, a, a dragon parade a, here's a
0: laughing Buddha gold statue of laughing Buddha we're rolling in it just came from the third grade class they just finished you'd have to have a rotating system of icon yeah. iconography all day through the school and halls. then here comes Anton LaVey and he's <laughs> waving some flags so we're at the this weird time where you know a huge chunk of society thinks um the main problem is that there's n- not enough religion, and in fact that they are personally being threatened as religious people.
1: We do see that. You've got
0: a incorrectly, perhaps, but <laughs> you, you've got another huge chunk of society that perceives religion as the source of all evil and something to be extirpated from the public sphere. Sure, I've
1: met a few of those people,
0: and then you've got kind of a, a soggy middle that mm. you know of, of the America we grew up with, where. Religion's good as long as it's on its best behavior. Yeah, the soggy middle. (laughs) There are certain kinds of religion that demonstrate a sufficient amount of decorum that we're going to let it slide. That's right. Keep it tight. Stop. No snake handling. Mm -hmm. um, No ululating. No loudspeakers at dawn from towers. All all that's um, a, a little extra. If you have a building and it has a
1: pointy part and one day a week yeah a tasteful a tasteful number of days a week one. <laughs> one one day a week or two maybe like a wednesday night uh, everybody
0: is in there for an hour the music has there to be is. the music has to be of a type that was fashionable a few decades ago mm-hmm. um, you know so even if you're in a mega church that has some 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 nice christian rock it's going to be extremely tasteful am gold you can
1: absolutely wear a costume on that one day a week no matter, I mean, every religion's got it,
0: right? So you wear your costume. You might have one guy in front with a costume. It's a little weird if everybody, you can wear one item.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, like, let's say it's a fancy hat, right? Yes. Church hat.
0: You got a little skull cap. Yeah. Uh, you, you're, you're, Turban. You're, you're a fancy, um, a, a fun, fancy, color, an African-American uh, uh, lady with a flowered hat. Or a
1: clip-on tie and a short
0: sleeve white shirt. Sure. Whatever your
1: uniform is, whatever your crazy... Your crazy costume, pocket protector, and black shoes. Now, you have to
0: be like the guy at the Halloween party that obviously is not trying. Right. Because if you really, if you really show up in in um, going all out religious expression, we're in a time where you know the 20th century was a time of saying no, no, no. Yeah, you're right. Can you can you can you dial it back? Yeah. On the no, middle? like
1: tie gold headdress. That's that's of uh, like
0: None, three feet. N- tall. Not one of those pyramidal gold hats from from pagan central europe that we put in the omnibus once I remember those days so well where it felt like
1: uh it wasn't just that extremism was uh, was in decline but that yeah there was a golden mean where everybody was just I mean I don't think there's a better word than soggy middle
0: there's not a lot of oh yeah religion yeah you do you like there yeah, really sure. is like I have opinions now about your religious practice it's either too much or too little, and and we lost this broad. Well, I don't know whether it was good or not, but we did have a broad sense that there was a, a tasteful amount of religious expression. Yeah, and 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 if you want to go more, do it at home. Yeah, it's Isn't not what, n- none of my business. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. Please at don't home. be yelling at your city council about it. Right. Um. And this story takes place in the largely in the nineteen thirties and forties, and it kind of covers. Uh, a time when there was well behaved religion, and then there was the kind of religion that nobody would approve of, and an unusual intersection of, of the Venn diagram of, of, of how that interacted with, with uh, science and with academia and with government and with cities, and uh, how it really, it, in, to, in retrospect, it's an extremely surprising story because of the oddball at the center of it.
1: I'm always con- <clears throat> coming from the North. My relationship to evangelicalism was always that it was not acceptable, not main- considered mainstream in the north, but very mainstream in the south. And that where, the, where that mainstream line was, was always, uh, I remember the first kind of like apocalyptic Christian church that opened in Anchorage that was a big deal. And it was, uh, it felt like the equivalent of a, a church from a foreign country. That had it was like the Rajneesh had moved in, yeah, like wow, what what we it, we actually would drive by the church on Sundays and kind of look trying to see if they were handling snakes.
0: had there been enough migration yeah. from from that part of the country to anchorage for, yeah. for pe- oil jobs or whatever it became a huge church it was it was um it was a massive. Uh, and success in, in Alaska that's what eight people
1: well no I mean, it was they built this big it was one of the, it was the first like mega temple any of us had seen the parking lot was full of cars and it, it just felt like a, american uh, cars american cars <laughs> it felt well there weren't any other kinds then uh, it felt like a um i don't like yeah something very exotic very exotic like like uh and then it became of course, the biggest church in town, and it was what everybody was talking about.
0: I'm gonna get more exotic here than evangelical <laughs> or even fundamentalist Christianity. I'm gonna take you to the Church of Philema, the Agape Lodge, the Ordo Templo Orientis. Hmm. The, the the weird traditions this of, is all some Masonic, talk. What, yes, Western esotericism. Um, the same root as, as Masonic and similar orders because it, it, it all revolves around the idea of secret knowledge. Hidden knowledge, certain texts that not everyone has, but we have the secrets. and uh, And wouldn't it be great to know the secret of, of life?
1: Are you going to walk on my good Templars um, topic? Are you, are you your, meaning your to do You're pro Templars? <laughs> no, uh, no, no. The good Templars are a kind of Templar that uh, that I've got on my short list, but it doesn't sound like we're going
0: to talk. No, about No, no. I mean, the Knights of the, the Knights of Templar are a more um, a more heavily. Christianized society than most of what, most of these mystical traditions that we're going to be discussing. Oh, okay. the, the Rosicrucians, for example, yeah. the, the, Hermetics, you know, the people who believe that Thoth and Hermes were the same God. When, you know, you go to Greece, you go to Egypt, you, you know, they call you something different. Sure. I don't see how you could argue that. Um, well, you know, when I go to Japan, they all call me, uh, you know, or actually Ken is actually as a Japanese name. This yeah, is a right. terrible example. Kenji. Never mind. Uh, and you know, and Thoth Hermes delivered all these secret texts. It goes back to Gnosticism and Kabbalah, uh, but in the 20th century, it overlapped with uh, science and academia, and even the space program, aerospace. Like and, there was a space program in the early 20th century.
1: There are a lot of secrets in this episode. We
0: are going back to the very beginning, the proto-space race. Uh, We're going back to a time when rocketry was a brand new science. 1926. Like, isn't it crazy that rocketry is less than a century old? I love it. Uh, Well, I mean, there were fireworks. Sure. The Chinese had, I mean, like many cultures beginning in in ancient China had known, you know, as soon as you can invent gunpowder, you realize you can blow something up and then you realize when you blow something up, you literally blow it up. Yes. The up becomes the operative word. Yeah. but the fact that you could do controlled launches and get controlled thrust with the right fuel—that all dates back to Robert Goddard in, in I think, 1926. Yeah. And for many, you know, for decades before that, even for some years after that, there was kind of a widespread belief, even in the scientific community, that this was not just not practicable, but like not physically impo- impossible, really—that the laws of physics would not allow this kind of propulsion. Uh, to do any work, and in fact, all the Jules Verne stuff was going to stay science fiction forever. You it, could, it, you just couldn't
1: get enough thrust.
0: You couldn't get enough thrust, and maybe, maybe even the uh, I think uh, in some circles, like misunderstanding the basic Newtonian laws, like no, you cannot eject thrust into a vacuum. There's nothing to push on, and therefore the rocket will not work. Uh, I think many, many, the New York Times famously had to run a correction in July 1969, saying we regret saying in 1926 to Robert Goddard. The rockets were a dead end and man will never walk on the moon. You know, it took, you know, it's kind of tongue in cheek, but right. it took them 40 years to walk it back. Um, uh, but had they never
1: taken a balloon and tried to make a fart sound with it and <laughs> then let it go?
0: When scientists see a balloon, all they want to do is rub it on their hair and stick it to something. Oh, I see. The compulsion <laughs> is just too strong. <laughs> a cat, if possible. Uh, the, the hero of our story, well, the protagonist, I don't want to say hero. Is uh, Jack Parsons, who was born in 1914 Sounds in, like a fake uh, name. in Los Angeles County? Uh, Jack Parsons is, in fact, his fake name. His parents called him Jack because they did not want to confuse him uh, with his—he was a junior with his father of the same name. So he missed out on the chance to be known as Marvel Whiteside Parsons. Marvel Whiteside Parsons too. Can you imagine being <sighs> named Marvel Whiteside Parsons the second and going by Jack? Jack Parsons. I don't know, Marvel Parsons? Especially given the kind of life we read that he has. Marvel Parsons sounds like you're like you've got a mouthful of Marvel. Marvel Parsons sounds like a hee-haw character. <laughs> but when you break it down, it's perfect. It's got mm-hmm. the religious angle of the Parson, but also the the Gnostic wonder of uh, the Marveling. Marvel? Yeah. And 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 the comic book and pulp tradition, which was a big part of Jack's childhood. He grew up on uh, what is no longer called Millionaire's Row in Pas- I don't know how well you know Pasadena, but kind of west of downtown. Pasadena, um, I know Pasadena like the back of my hand. Well, the moneyed people in the in the twenties lived along this particular stretch of Orange Grove Boulevard that came to be called Millionaire's Row. And at that time, I believe Pasadena had more millionaires per capita or per square mile than anywhere else in America. Money was money was flowing west, and these were the guys whose names were in the pharmaceutical firms or the the parts factories or or the. Produce shipment companies or whatever it was. Isn't that amazing to consider? Every time I'm
1: in that that town, I I, I try to tr- picture like how did Pasadena, right? Like like looking at it in relation to L. A. Now, it feels uh, anomalous,
0: but at the time, it would have been like a little paradise. That bridge, that little cityscape, it's pretty great, and it still has the Rose Bowl as kind of a remnant of a time when it was yeah. a real cultural center not just in southern california but you know america wide pasadena was was a was a nice neighborhood on the grow and and uh they gave us van halen above all <laughs> above all other things oh wow i was gonna go rose bowl and caltech but no van halen you're absolutely right yeah, thank you which which are, are the is eddie van halen from pasadena i think they all they are. all are pasadena what about sammy hagar
1: Oh, no. Sammy Hagar is from the swamps.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sammy Hagar is a cryptid who who wandered out of the Sierra Nevadas. The money appears to mostly have been his mom's family money because by the time Jack is even an infant, by the time he turns two, I think his parents have had a very acrimonious breakup. Dad has been found uh, 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 consorting with, uh, today we would say, sex workers, and Mm -hmm. we would would support him, Mm -hmm. except that he did not have— We would support them— not necessarily him. We, exactly. Because he did not have the consent of his partner and she was mad. And, I it, see. and okay, it became right. a nasty divorce. Dad moved out. Luckily, mom's family had the money. So Jack grew up in a lovely house on Millionaire's Row where his uh, obsession was, uh, well, he had two obsessions. He loved science fiction. He loved his old Jules Verne books about being able to just cannonball a capsule full of people to the moon and what they might find there. Uh, he loved the pulp magazines that had just started amazing stories and the other kind of the beginnings of, of, uh, American science fiction, um, green bug eyed aliens, uh, rockets, you know, all the post Robert Goddard stuff about rocketry. And as a result, he started toying with rocketry. Which so what was it, his second obsession? His second obsession was Satan. By the time he was 12 years old, he's, uh, Jack's apparently enough trouble that he's been sent off to some kind of military academy for, um, for boys who can't stop touching themselves or, or whatever it was called sure. um, where he spends most of his time, apparently, you know, cause even at home, he loved taking apart firecrackers to see what you what one could do with them. And we
1: are not saying just to be clear that if you are really into superheroes
0: and Satan,
1: that you're necessarily a masturbator.
0: No. Okay. Okay. No. In fact, wanted... in fact, I can't think that there would be any overlap at all. Okay. All right. Just I'll, wanted to make that clear. Although weirdly, you know, his, um, his, uh, personal private time with his private parts actually becomes the center of this story later on, which I think has never been true of an omnibus entry. No one, no one was ever touching themselves while the, the, uh, you know, the Halifax explosion happened that we know of.
1: No. Although there are several entries where it feels like it might be a tangential part of the story. It's never been right at the heart of it. We've
0: always swerved away. I think correctly, correctly. So yeah, content warning. Um, He, uh, so he spends most of his time at Military Academy, apparently, you know, blowing up cherry bombs in the restroom toilets. Mm. Um, Just, you know, Bart Simpson stuff. Sure. But also, at the same age, he uh, is experimenting with uh, mystical traditions enough that he tries to conjure up Satan in his childhood bedroom. And in fact, whatever happens, you know, it scares him so badly that he doesn't mess with the occult again. Really? Yeah, for, for decades. But he got spooked. He has a formative experience with his attempts to, uh, to bring the big red guy um, to his childhood bedroom. But as he grows up, you know, his, his, um, his fascination with space and with blowing things up remains a constant. Unfortunately, the Great Depression means that his family's fortunes uh, are on the wane. Despite oh, no. being one of the smartest kids in his school, he gets into Stanford— uh, he can't attend any of the, uh, even, you know, even back then when I'm sure Stanford is, you know, one one thousandth the adjusted price it is today, he winds up at some Pasadena junior college and in fact is forced to even drop out from that in the 30s. But he and some friends are still blowing things up and they're getting more and more serious about it. Like they're starting to realize the actual contours of the scientific problems involved. You know, how do you what fuel will generate enough thrust and crucially over a long enough period of time? Because he's not right. just interested, he's getting to a point where he doesn't just want to see things blow up or fly in the air. He's wondering, how does this lead to space travel? How does this lead to amazing stories? See, this is where our paths diverged because you I stopped at.
1: Yeah, I blew up a lot of stuff, but I never got serious about it.
0: Well, you were at an age where uh, there were already pretty good rockets. You know, you realized you were competing with NASA. Did you ever – do you remember what whistling peats were? Did yeah. you ever have a whistling We called Pete? them piccolo peats. Piccolo peats. But yeah, I know exactly what they are.
1: A whistling peat, you could – I learned this in about 1977. If you took a pair of pliers and you crimped it, you could get the whistling peat to both fly and explode. In that order, I assume. Yeah. And it was a great evolution because,
0: you know, whistling peat was one of the safe and sane fireworks. I mean, that's why I know about them because I grew up in a safe Washington State was safe and sane at safe the time. And sane. So you had to just watch those little snake things uncoil, or watch something sit on the ground and spin, and that's the only option.
1: But one of the one of the great things about safe and sane fireworks is they gave you an opportunity to see if you could mod them to make them unsafe and insane. And there were a few you could.
0: I mean, it's right there in the name. Yeah. When you say, "Hey, let's buy something for Fourth of July. Let's buy something that's safe and sane," every child immediately thinks, "Well, hold on." <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't seem like the most fun thing we could do, right. right? What would happen if I put it under a bucket? What would happen if I put it in a phone booth? Exactly. And a lot of these kids blow off fingers, and we should hasten to add that, uh, you know. Omnibus is against
1: blowing off fingers.
0: Yes, we're, we're against the behaviors that might even lead to blowing off your fingers. Um, so Jack and, and some of his some of his friends, his hobbyist friends, are really getting serious about this problem to the degree that they're starting to think about things like, multi-stage rockets and mm. are liquid fuels really the right way to go you know like they're so unstable um, is there a way to make a you know in the same way that you can stabilize mm, nitroglycerin by putting it in dynamite if if i'm getting that right you know like yeah. what's the equivalent are there solid rocket fuels that are really going are, are really the future um and at the age of 23 he ac- he actually convinces the california institute of technology in his Pasadena hometown to host and sponsor his little rocket club, his group of 20 something year old young men who are blowing things up.
1: It's the proto. Uh, it's the proto Cub Scouts. They're having a <laughs>
0: rocketry match. Did you do model rockets as a kid? Um, I never got beyond those water rockets. Oh, which I loved. But no, I, as an adult, I've I've you know helped out with a local Boy Scout troop that was actually shooting things in the air with explosives.
1: In the seventies, uh, model rocketry was a really big deal. And I built many model rockets and launched them. And what happens? They've got little, sh- do they have <clears throat> the
0: chutes in the capsule?
1: Yep. And, uh, and some of them were multi-stage, um, were multi-stage rockets. Uh, the Estes company kind of made a whole set of, uh, you know, uh, different, different sizes of rockets. You could build, you could build a. You know, launchable Saturn V. I started off with the little rockets that were what, 16 inches tall? Yeah. And then, and went up from there. It was a real, it was a real activity. I went to some rocketry events that had 500 kids, and
0: rockets were up in the sky all day. It was, it was just a thrill. Yeah. Do you remember as a kid just seeing something flying? You know, it's a pre drone world, but you see the Goodyear blimp above a stadium or you see, I think occasionally I'd see hot air balloons or something, and you just couldn't believe you were seeing it.
1: Hot air balloons were big in Anchorage, so we saw them a lot.
0: And they were big in Salt Lake. Yeah, and here on the east side is is where I remember seeing. I think they still launched them from Woodinville, maybe?
1: We talked about doing uh, hot air balloons on Omnibus, and I'm going to make a note that that... Will be the next episode. Let
0: the record show John is typing in his phone. Maybe not the next episode. Presumably hot true. air balloons. Some episode at some point. Um so Jack and his his high school friend, his his great school friend, I think, Ed Foreman, somehow talk Caltech into letting them think use man. the resources of the Guggenheim Aeronautical Laboratory, or Galcit, which was kind of Caltech's budding aerospace department so what were they doing at the aeronautical
1: laboratory at that time
0: um well once, building a better biplane once ed and jack uh yeah i'm sure it's i'm sure it's um aerofoil shapes and, and you know testing different kinds of wing shapes and wind tunnels um but once jack and ed get there suddenly they have the galsit rocket research group so um, these guys don't have college degrees they're just local the enthusiasts dropouts and they quickly come to be called the Suicide Squad at Caltech. The rocket research group is called the Suicide Squad, mostly because a, fully a quarter of their budget every year is going to building repair <laughs> because they're experimenting with um, explosives full time. In the and not you know in the they're fairly sophisticated and as we now know correct belief that this is the future of aerospace. This is the future of air travel and space travel. Did they have like a cool old hearse that they drove around Pasadena in? <laughs> so there has been a, I didn't know this one. This was show, a show requested by a listener named Russell. And I've long been interested in the story of, of Jack Parsons and what's going to happen to him and his famous friends. Uh, and I did not know that like, as of a couple of years ago, there's actually a, one of these period TV dramas that sprang up in the wake of Mad Men you know, anti-heroes out of time, like Uh the one they made about Masters and Johnson or the one they made about... There's actually a show called, I think, Strange Angel, uh, fictionalized about Jack Parsons' um, adventures in the 30s and 40s because he was apparently kind of a dapper debonair character around the Caltech campus. Many articles about him today refer to him as the James Dean of Chemistry or the James Dean of Caltech, which doesn't take much at Caltech. Also, it's anachronistic. Parsons uh, actually passes away before... James Dean's first starring role. So uh, nobody was calling him that at the time. But in hindsight, he was that kind of a, of a loosh bad boy character. I feel like
1: Strange Angel sounds like a vampire TV show and they just got the title wrong. I would never watch a TV show called Strange Angel, but I would absolutely watch a, a, uh, a TV show called the James Dean of Caltech. To
0: me, Strange Angel really conveys well that it's going to happen at the intersection of crazy UFO stuff and crazy occult stuff. Yeah. Which is what's going to happen. Spoilers. Oh. So uh, I don't know if the, the TV show was on some channel that doesn't maybe exist. Mm-hmm. You know, so, uh, sounds likely whatever CBS's equivalent of Peacock is, except they don't have a fun animal. So there's this called Big Yellow Eye or something. Maybe um, it was <clears throat> Google Plus. My guess is it got folded into Paramount Plus, but I'm not going to research any of this because yeah. who cares? Who cares? Um, streaming is collapsing. There's no way the show is going to be renewed for whatever season it's not on yet. Um, let's pretend it doesn't exist. Some futureling right now is shouting into it's their so headphones. Angry, so angry. <laughs> season two is an improvement on season one. And the producers say that they've got a five-year plan and they're going to go to. It's also
1: possible that one of the writers or producers is actually listening uh, to, and they're just hanging their head and one solitary tear dripping down.
0: That's not impossible. Let's say if, and you know, and we're going to do a very cursory treatment of the subject that I'm sure they've researched and fictionalized in depth. <laughs> So let's say if you're listening, actually, the show's probably good. Oh, yeah. And and we just haven't... Too much TV, peak TV. I'm sorry. It's wonderful, and you should download it all immediately. I haven't even watched the good shows I want to watch. I have no time to watch the good shows I don't want to watch. You know
1: how it is. Absolutely. I mean, it it took me a second to parse that, but yes.
0: Um, The funny thing about the Rocket Research Group or Suicide Squad is they're in exactly the right place at the right time, and soon they are starting to get... um, Hefty military contracts for their work. Not for rocketry. This is still the thirties, and nobody's worried about missiles raining down on European capitals yet. Right. What they want is they know. what they want is airplanes that take off faster. They want jet engines to get airplanes off the ground. The military correctly sees that this is the future of of uh Fighter planes.
1: Well, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio taught
0: us that you just need to, to sand down the heads of those rivets. If the rivets stick out, you'll never get anywhere. You know, how fast can you go? I thought you were going to say Leonardo da Vinci. I was picturing the the, yeah. the flapping wings made of uh, made of balsa wood or, or whatever he had. Because you also need to sand down the rivets on those, probably. You do. You do. But they're made of balsa wood, so it's easier to sand. Um, so... Jack Parsons is going places now. At the same time, we kind of have to follow the parallel threads of science and religion here. At the same time, here he is starting to make some friends over the hill in Hollywood, uh-huh. uh, Hollywood weird, I call it, <laughs> yeah, because he's starting to hang out with um, you know people more on the fringes of society than he would have met in uh, in well-heeled Pasadena millionaires' row. He's starting to meet actors. This is starting to sound like a noir. And well, I mean, he's not he's not going to deal with you know people shipping uh moonshine into long beach but is he hanging out with fatty arbuckle or are they like murdering starlets
1: like he's hanging happening? out with
0: actors like john carradine early gay rights activists the kind mm-hmm. of thing that you're more likely to see in, in hollywood at the time than in um, than in pasadena and a lot of these people are interested in the then faddish ideas of alistair crowley i thought it was crowley I believe it's Crowley. Whoa! And I'm going to let the the you know somebody in the writers room of Strange Angel can write in and correct one of us.
1: I uh, so I need to call Ozzy because Ozzie. he is going to have uh, this is going to this
0: is going to affect his catalog. Do you feel like he says Crowley, Mr. Well, he's, Crowley? He's got a mouthful of bat. Boom, boom, boom. He's got a mouthful of, of flying mammal. You can't tell the vowels. It's
1: true.
0: Oh, so Crowley. I'm sorry. I need to swallow this bat. Uh,
1: but yeah, I think within heavy metal, Alistair, and I'm incapable of of saying Crawley or whatever, however you just said it, Alistair Crowley plays a, a large role in 70s and 80s metal.
0: Yes. He is kind of the nexus point from which all of these 20th century traditions come. You know, he, he was interested in all the Western esotericism of the past and coupled that with his own set of visions and texts. You know, uh, to create—he's pretty much the ancestor of every neo-pagan movement of the 20th century: Wicca, uh, uh, chaos magic, the Church of Satan, to some degree. He bought a castle somewhere that had uh, ghosts, right? He came from money, so he—you know—he had, and he's—you know—he's a British guy from a wealthy Worcester family. He has better castle access than you or I will ever have. Agreed. Um, and at the time uh, that Parsons first sees his work. Uh, among LA weirdos, they love his he's still alive, Crowley. Crowley, Crowley I think. Uh. No, no, I'm not gonna know. Still alive and very excited about the American spin-offs of his, of his world religious organization. Um, Jack Parsons attends a Gnostic mass that's being held at Crowley's Church of Thalemma. Thalemma is a uh, kind of sketchy work, a sketchy word nominally from Koine Greek. Meaning will, like as in
1: a, a will to power, the human will, yes, uh-huh.
0: because that was that was kind of Crowley's famous, his one ethical credo, uh, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law,
1: right? In other That's words, Alistair,
0: C- Alistair Crowley, Crowley, no, I believe it's Alistair Crowley, <laughs> said, and, do what thou wilt, that shall be the whole of the law, yeah, do it. Th- so, basically, what you know, it's kind of a Nietzschean. You know the and it's not, it doesn't mean I'm sure he would at the time he never would have said, you know, go do some ritual murders, but he is saying, you know, a lot of these hidebound religious ideas are just holding us back. We need a f- freer mind, and we need to free our minds and our love. And the perfect world is one in which we all live in harmony because everybody can do, can do what their inner voice tells them.
1: Yeah, it's Nietzschean, it's anarchic, or uh, it's John Galtian right it's It's right at the
0: intersection. Yeah. And actually libertarianism is an interesting data point here because of the kinds of people in West Coast science at this time that Parsons is going to end up hanging out with. I think I think that's a lot of the reason for the the you know the the kind of the current coalition behind Randy and thought today would be very shocked at uh, at the cultural currents that led to its founding. Hmm. Um, the Church of Thelma. This organization is often called the OTO, the Ordo Templi Orientis. That was Crowley's Order of Eastern Templars. Crowley started out as a kind of a synthesis of Gnosticism and Kabbalah and all these Western mystical esoteric secret traditions, secret knowledge handed down from the uh, from the old ones. But he soon started to mingle it with Eastern ideas of uh, uh, you know not not just Buddhism but different kinds of. Uh, Hindu uh, yoga yogi ideas um the ter- you know the, the, the and it goes back to other western traditions alchemy and astrology and the tarot and it's all uh it's all a cosmic j- a gumbo for him
1: a cosmic gumbo
0: and parson's is super interested in it, it really speaks to him he's you know his occult interests as a kid overlap with his scientific ones in that they're both about they're both amazing stories you know they're both getting beyond this world to a new one where there's new wise entities we don't know about. And to Crowley, those are the old gods. And to Parsons, maybe they're Martians. But this is the beginning of the era where those two things start to dovetail. And Jack Parsons is really kind of the epicenter of how that happens. You know, what if the aliens are the are the mystic old ones or the fairies that spoke to our ancestors?
1: It feels almost like a <clears throat> like a weird roll of the dice here because... We think, certainly from our uh, our soggy middle sense of mid-century American science, that science and superstition are antithetical to one another and that the scientific mind progresses away from uh, the occult, but really it just depends on who's... Standing there holding the wrench, right? The the, right. the
0: And per- how far back you look? Yeah, you know, right. from our point of view, clearly Newton was correct about mechanics, but a dope about alchemy. But he didn't know that. Like those <laughs> at the time, those at the time, those were both sciences, right? And I think that's how Parsons sees it. You know, like this is a new way of seeing the universe, and we're going to see how the how these laws all uh, how Crowley's pronouncements all tie into scientific law.
1: I've been trying to explain string theory to my 11-year-old. That's a religion. In a very, very, the most basic way. And watching her face as I, like, just sort of try and break it down and make it understandable, which it's clearly not. But watching her face uh, and all of the, like, the different expressions of incredulity that go across it as I'm like, well, so
0: the math says. If you tell a child, yeah, there's 22 dimensions. Yeah. And super strings re- re- resonating at different frequencies are what divides them. I mean, that's no different than telling someone the kingdom of God has a gate of jasper and onyx. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing. Uh, the other, and let's be honest, one thing that really appeals to Parsons about the Gnostic mass is the kind of crazy ahead of their time sex rites
1: oh, that are going on there. That really always does play a, a key role, or at least it used to. Nowadays, I don't see as much science driven by crazy sex rights.
0: No, because you've got you got three sex right apps on your phone. You know, at all times, you don't need to. You don't need to find some new religious movement. Right? It's going
1: to be the it's going to be the next hipster thing
0: to find or found a new religious movement. H- human sacrifice. Um, he is very into this. Is probably a record for how long it's taken Anonymous to turn into the inevitable sex cult. But uh, but Jack Parsons and his wife Helen. Join a sex cult. They love <laughs> all the partner swapping, or at least Jack does. Um, there's some evidence that Helen is not against it also. That, by now, we're in the mid-40s, and Jack Parsons is really at his career peak. He's had a real breakthrough in turning liquid rocket fuels into solids. Um, he's actually inspired by Greek Fire, which has been an omnibus entry, Yes, um, to use asphalt as a binding agent. Uh, and he finds that he's having great luck using asphalt as the as the stabilizer oh. for his rocket fuel so he's blowing up fewer buildings at caltech the suicide squad the rocket research group has been renamed jet propulsion laboratories oh. on the strength of their massive army contract the army uh, he, he's also started up kind of a quasi related group called aerojet which is going to produce new jet engines for army you know new rocketry for army planes basically the beginning of the jet age and he has uh, accidentally founded Jet Propulsion Laboratories. The initials JPL, coincidentally, could be Jack Parsons Laboratories. It would not exist without him. It's, so it's really the sex cult that keeps him off of the $1 bill. <laughs> <laughs> that is what starts to happen. Because from this career point uh, high point, it goes downhill. Not at first. Um, he and, uh, I mean, there's some sexual shenanigans he has a great disappointment when his wife Helen falls for the leader of their um Thelemic lodge the Agape lodge a man named Wilfred Smith. And this is uh, if we imagine that Jack is the one who um who you know dragged his wife to all the sex rides, it is kind of funny to imagine that
1: we don't know that though she might have been the one that was like come on Jack take me to the sex party and he's like ah oh, I'm working uh, my, on the
0: jet I've still I've still got this stuff I still haven't cleaned my purple robes from Jack. last week. Come on. The sex ride right starts at 8. Get your purple robes on. Well, certainly that's what happens when she falls for Wilfred Smith, the charismatic leader of the Lodge. Mm. Jack, we're going to be late for the sex lodge. Why are you so into going to the sex lodge this week? <laughs> Last week, you just wanted to listen to Jack Benny. No, Wilfred has a lot to tell us this week about, <laughs> yeah, exactly. about me but going I, to him. I like to imagine a world where Jack is kind of a lousy 40s husband who drags his wife to all these wife-swapping things and feeds her a line about how this is the, uh, the future of, of freeing your mind and your... Solemic soul. And then she leaves him for the, for the better looking uh, leader of the group.
1: That's the fictionalized account in your version of this. Because he has a more,
0: he has a more potent wand ceremonial wand. Right. Um, But Jack uh, gets in, in I don't want to say in, um, I don't want to say this is a uh, retaliation, but he builds a rocket 10 stories (laughs) tall. He begins having sex with his rockets. No, actually, he begins an affair with Helen's 17-year-old half-sister Betty. Hmm. So again, you know, this maybe this is the reasoning for you know my not wanting Jack to come off so well in this story. Yeah, right. Because sure. this is his move. Oh, one- oh, you're into the you're into the wand guy? Well, guess what? Guess what? Your sister what? is just a younger version of you. She's into the rocket guy. Um, and in, but they all make it work. Uh Oh, well, they all make it work. All see, this is the kind of. I mean, I don't know. On the, who knows on the inside who is being dragged into this and who is enthusiastic?
1: I was going to say this sounded really fifteenth century, but if they all made it work, it's what, sounding very 21st century. What if they century. all move
0: into a nice craftsman in Pasadena, which they call the Pasadena Lodge? They
1: ja- they all got matching tattoos.
0: Jack, his wife, her wand guy, you know, the lodge leader, and her um, her um, perky half sister. Wait, you're saying this happened? Yes, they all move into they all move into the new relocated Agape Lodge and suddenly Jack is now living on site at the center of Los Angeles Thelemic Crowley worship with his wife with his wife who is sleeping with the the, the lodge leader, leader and who,
1: her half sister who's yes. a teenager.
0: Yes. Um and at the same time he is founding JPL and trying to deliver thousands of jet engines to the Army Air Corps.
1: You're basically describing the
0: early years of the Joko cruise. <laughs>
1: I thought you were going to say a Van Halen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> also Van Halen. It
1: all links up.
0: This is where a young David Lee Roth enters the picture. No, we are still in the mid-40s. Unfortunately, as you're saying, this is the kind of thing that does tend to to uh, uh, work against somebody professionally, right? When they... when. The scientific part of their life cannot always compete with the purple robes.
1: Unlike in 2022, where polyamory uh, really helps, if you if you come out as polyamorous and uh, and living in a in a, a cult house, uh, it, it, it propels your career. So many
0: people on social media will be che- will be cheerleading your bravery. Um, in fact, he's now a habitual user of. Um, you know, amphetamines because he's a science man of the 40s. Right, that was the times. Coke and amphetamines, but also peyote and mescaline because he's a Satan worshiper of the 40s. Whoa! So this guy's got it all going on. Um, He's in, you know, it's starting to be, and it's, it's becoming visible at work that his odd black magic cult <laughs> is starting to lead to to <laughs> drug paranoia and
1: hangovers. Sure, he's snorting ketamine at his desk and then... and. <laughs>
0: Working on moon rockets. I think the 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 noisy uh, the the kind of the loud raucous neighbors start to complain about the velvet robes and the the braziers of fire and the the wands going into cups that they keep hearing next door at the thelemic uh, agape lodge. Sure. So there's a series. Now there becomes a series of police investigations of exactly what kind of religious organization he's running, and of course this is now a guy with army military contracts who has to insist to law enforcement that no, nothing weird anymore, that we just are interested in philosophical explorations here at our, at our little study group. Um, We're just
1: wearing these purple robes uh, to sorry. stay warm. Of course,
0: my wife has nothing on under the purple robe, yeah, but that's a, because you showed up in such a hurry.
1: The breeze in off the desert.
0: <laughs> and his reputation becomes such that he uh, is essentially forced out of JPL. Um, he is bought out. He gets $11,000 in stock. That's he, not that much and he, even at the time even no the time. not that great for founding the the modern jet science if you were to open a store john what would you sell
1: oh i've thought about this a lot you know vintage sweaters um cheap guitars you like was...
0: old guitars but cheap ones start making soap
1: no i'm not like a i'm not some artisanal shop guy i think i would all be found it's just stuff you're trying to empty out of your house yeah recycled garbage there's that store in, you know the 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 little seafaring store in Paul's Bow yeah, that sells like old stuff from old fishing uh, bobs and yeah, stuff. Yeah, Just wrecked sh- ship stuff. I love that store. You just want to sell old diving helmets. I
0: do. I want to find stuff and resell it. When you begin your old diving helmet store, let me recommend to you Shopify. Well, no, how is Shopify going to help me? It's uh it gives entrepreneurs the resources that like a big, store would have so you could compete with them as a little entrepreneur oh this is helpful because i worry
1: about this you worry like, about
0: big diving helmet choking well, out your
1: business it's just like there are so many things that you need to have a cool online business and i wouldn't know where to start
0: shopify does it all it helps you reach customers online using social media help synchronize sales you've done on different venues and platforms exactly. it gives you reporting of your Profit margins and your conversion rates, and it helps you accept all major payment methods. It integrates all the -the behind-the-scenes stuff that has to happen for you to start selling diving helmets.
1: See, this would be the stuff that was challenging for me, right? All the, like, I would get overwhelmed
0: by trying to do all this myself. Let Shopify do it for you. It's Hmm. more than a store. It grows with you. And I've got an exciting deal that I want to offer you right now, John. Well, well, what is it, Ken? Ken? If you go to shopify.com slash omnibus. Now that's easy to do. Slash omnibus, all
1: lowercase. You're saying shopify.com slash omnibus and omnibus is all lowercase. The letter O, it's lowercase. Oh, I see. So don't capitalize O, even though we normally would. The letter M? equally lowercase so don't do lowercase o and then
0: capital m which would be weird neither shalt thou capitalize (laughs) the n the i or the bus Uh if you do that you will get a free 14 day trial and that'll have full access to the entire suite of features shopify offers
1: two weeks two weeks so you're saying i could grow my business with shopify today by going to shopify.com slash all lowercase omnibus but don't Type in all lowercase.
0: Just type in the word Omnibus, but do not hit the caps lock or shift key while you do so. Shopify powers over 2 million businesses from first sale to full scale. First sale to full scale. That's Shopify. All the way from first sale to full scale. The full spectrum of things that rhyme with whale. Shopify.com slash Omnibus right now.
1: Shopify.com slash Omnibus. So they didn't. They didn't smear him as a communist, which which is would would be the lowest common denominator here.
0: That comes later. You oh, know, we, oh okay. we need to wait for the late forties, early fifties oh, okay. for Black Magic Sex Cult to equal, <laughs> and clearly, <laughs> clearly you're working. You're working. You're a Marxist Leninist. Um, <laughs> that's coming too. At the time, you it was a simpler time, John. You could be in a Black Magic Sex Cult without also being in a without worrying if it was compatible with Marxism.
1: What's interesting is you could be a Marxist Leninist at the time without. Uh, it, interfering your interfering with your military
0: contracts too. Today in of, Today, of course, all the polyamorists on the internet are also Marxist Leninists, but they yes. do not have big money military. They do not have fat military contracts for the most part. Right. although that may be changing with the war in Ukraine. <laughs> That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. now that um now that the uh, specter of global thermonuclear war is being eagerly embraced by <laughs> by many good liberals. Well, and how I mean, we know Elon Musk is polyamorous. Is he also a Satanist? Is Elon? Musk – Yeah, who is Elon Musk conjuring? There's got to be some call I mean, in his office. But this office. is a, this is a guy who has never. I feel like he has never. He has never looked heavenward and aspired to to blowing something up or or creating a, a portal that will bring the old gods in. He just wants a car that will fart when you do the secret series of keystrokes. Didn't wasn't it? Didn't he launch
1: a, a like a Corvette into space? He did. So that feels like a holy rite. He, I don't know. He, he 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 put it off as a gag, but I think he was sending the Corvette to his gods.
0: I guess you could believe that the whatever our spirit of the age is, it's embodied now in automotive technology. This is the premise of my mother, the car. Also, it was yeah, it's a it's like a ritual sacrifice, exactly. And yeah, you don't slaughter a goat anymore; you slaughter a cow or uh, or fire a slaughter a Corvette. Slaughter a Corvette. Sorry, yeah. yeah, I mean, speaking of which, uh, one of the things the neighbors are complaining about is that this Pasadena Craftsman. Uh, Wilfred, Jack, Helen, and Betty are all keeping their own livestock, which they're <sighs> slaughtering, not just to have meat, but to have warm blood for their eldritch rituals. No. Sure.
1: They're not actually doing it. This is just what the neighbors are saying, or are they actually no, doing
0: they it? They are in fact slaughtering the cows, eating the delicious steaks because they're 1940s Americans. And drinking but also, the warm blood on the But also saving the blood for Saturday night, yes. Whoa, okay. Um, also not incidentally, this is going to come into the story. For many years, uh, Jack and Helen have been friendly with the science fiction community, which is big in Southern California at the time. You know, this is so exciting for him, having grown up on amazing stories. He's now getting invited over to Robert Heinlein's house. Every... Also, weird sex cult. Exactly, <laughs> he's being invited over to Heinlein's house every week for the for the meeting of the Manana Literary Society or whatever Heinlein calls it. You know, it's it's all the it's all the big names. Uh, Lee Brackett is there, and Ellsberg de Camp is there, and. Edmund Hamilton, all the California pulp sci-fi guys at the time. And Heinlein is starting to get his stories published in like the Saturday Evening Post and the Atlantic. And this is starting to turn legit. And I'm sure if you're Jack Parsons, you just, you're so excited, you know, that that your weird thing, you know, it would be the equivalent of of a Pokemon fan from the old days suddenly seeing a hundred million people playing. But he's also the one that's doing science. He's...
1: It's not sci-fi, he's doing sci rai right, right,
0: and I'm sure he's. it's a feather in their cap that an actual jet propulsion rocket scientist is coming to their little mm, meetings. Mm. Uh, and at one of these meetings, he meets a friend of Heinlein, who, uh, this is after the war, who, like Heinlein, is a mustachioed... Uh, former wartime naval officer, full of all the the maritime daring do that comes oh, with boy. that. Oh, I
1: see where this is going.
0: And also interested in pulp science fiction and is writing science fiction stories. This is. Uh, are you going to say it out loud?
1: You know that there, there are bots that that scan all podcasts.
0: Is there a is there a code name we can use for Lafayette R H, uh, <laughs> this science fiction author?
1: <laughs> uh, it's pronounced. Lafayette uh, Run
0: as the, the French <laughs> would call it. Le Run <laughs> What if we don't say. The Church de Sciences What if we agree to never say the D word of the self help movement he is going to okay. found? All right. And then we will also not say the S word of the global church that that self help movement morphs into. But we do. we are allowed to say. Mr. Hubbard's name. Do you think they'll uh, come after
1: us? Obviously, we're talking about Ray Bradbury.
0: <laughs> you know, young Ray Bradbury does show up at these meetings.
1: I bet he does. So, <laughs> but yes. Uh, no, we're talking about uh, like uh, outstanding American, uh,
0: patriotic American white sailor hat wearer. What's the name of the uh, of Sea the, Org? Uh, what's the name of the the Sea Org guy in the? Um, in the Paul Thomas Anderson movie, the Philip Seymour oh, Hoffman yeah. character, uh, in that movie they call him...
1: Slightly fictional in Lancaster Dodd. Yeah. Okay. Let's call him Lancaster Dodd. All right.
0: Mustachioed pulp sci-fi guy Lancaster Dodd is also at these meetings, and he immediately becomes... Parsons becomes fascinated with him because he's a charismatic figure. Unfortunately, Hubbard has... Sorry. Dodd. <laughs> <it's> Damn <damaged>. it. <laughs> Lancaster Dodd has his eye on Betty. Oh! The... Uh, the, his, uh, you know, his replacement. Let's I, drop all pretense now. Really? Yes.
1: <laughs> okay. Having
0: lost Helen to Wilfred Smith, he is now losing Betty to Lancaster Dodd. And so now they're all living together. Is it, Betty 19 by now or? Eh, let's see. Yeah. Betty Betty is probably pushing 20. So at least Lancaster Dodd is not sleeping with an underage girl fresh off the Greyhound. Okay. Um. And, you know, you'd think... The Jack Parsons would have seen everything by now and on paper he loves free love and the the free sex in the velvet robes and the you know the goat's head and the partner swapping he's into all of it but now this is the last straw he has seen his beloved lost to this new charismatic friend and he is distraught Wow uh, it starts to affect his work and in fact, in December of 1945 he comes up with a plan to solve his problem with an Enochian working uh, I believe this is come upon omnibus speaking of alchemy that the great Elizabethan alchemists and scientists like John Dee believed that that they had mystic wisdom that they had received from Enoch the uh, you know secret writings of Enoch the Old Testament patriarch and that they did all kinds of magic ceremonies based on this and this was a big part of the the hermetic and esoteric traditions that Crowley is drawing on. And so studying Crowley's own rites, which have drawn from these 16th century Enochian rites, Jack Parsons decides he's going to do a mystical conjuration that will solve all his problems.
1: So he's sitting there now— Crying over his goblet of blood, having lost his teenage. Crying
0: into his goblet of, of warm lamb's blood. Uh, lost his teenage sister in law to L. Ron Hubbard. To Lancaster Dodd. <laughs> oh, to Lancaster Dodd, I'm we, sorry. And we all know how that feels, right? When you've lost your teen sister wife. To, to um, science fiction cult leader Lancaster Dodd, yeah. it's a terrible feeling. It's going to break your heart. It's one of the w- worst feelings. So he turns to he turns Mr. To, Crowley. He turns to the Enochian wisdom of the 16th century, and his those in his in his lodge or in his little group are not sure what he's working toward. They assume maybe he's trying to uh, conjure some kind of epic revenge upon Lancaster Dodd. <sighs> El, uh, Lancaster Dodd himself. Uh, but or, really, he's or, out
1: in the garage splattering paint on a giant canvas, and he invents uh, he invents uh, splatter art.
0: Or maybe to get his to get his child bride back, his child non bride back. Uh, in fact, uh, the results turn out to be at first anticlimactic, but then unexpected. Uh, over twelve consecutive nights, from late 1945 to early 1946. He puts on, uh, puts Prokofiev violin concertos on the gramophone and performs 11 Krollian invocations. you got to do the conjuration of air, the consecration of air dagger, the invocation of wand with material basis on talisman. I was just doing
1: that the other day. Uh,
0: well, you probably were yeah. because the invocation of wand with material basis appears to be a euphemism here. Uh-huh. The, the the wand would be the part of Parsons anatomy that is being used in the ritual. The material basis appears to be the the product oh, of the ritual. I see. So he's he's um he's masturbating to Satan, basically. Uh-huh. I mean, not Satan. In fact, in fact, to uh, to a totally non satanic deity, to Babylon, not spelled like Babylon with a Y. It's got a second A.
1: Babalon,
0: Babalon, like it's a Harry Belafonte thing. In in Crowleyan thought, Babalon is a a divine whore. Is the words that Crowley would use. She's a an ancient, forgotten fertility goddess, um, symbolized by the cup. The cup being the most interesting part of her anatomy, I believe, to uh-huh. to thinkers like Crowley. Uh-huh. Um, and she is a she's a blessed spirit because she brings a you know her era of fertility and sexual freedom and new possibility and and she, you know she's one of the the best goddesses you could conjure and there's an apocalyptic angle too here Why because she she's forgotten
1: she's, if she's one of these great if she's like if her cup is so great
0: well I I think from most points of view it would be because she doesn't actually exist okay. there is no authentic historic tradition of a goddess named Babylon are you
1: saying that. Crowley's just inventing gods at this point? Crowley,
0: but yes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He's just up there. He's run out of all the good old gods. He's worked his way through Thoth and Hermes and Baphomet and all the rest. And now his spirit guides are whispering new names to him. He's got a boggle game, but all it has is B's, (laughs) A's, (laughs) L's, and P's. I mean, he could be drawing Scrabble tiles out of a bag like they do in Rosemary's Baby. I mean, that's going to be a relevant data point. Here. I mean, I should say that this is all happening immediately
1: in the in the in the first six months after the detonation of the atomic bomb.
0: That is correct. Do you believe that that in fact opened a portal to another world where the old ones uh, reside? Maybe, maybe. But
1: it also has to be. I mean, that in a way is the dawn of well, nuclear age, but also the. Uh, it's kind of like the. It's. Peak science moment, right? The culmination of science.
0: Science invented a new mystical thing we can't explain, but it ended war. Yeah, it ended. I mean, war, it also killed. You know, hundreds of thousands of people. It was the. It invoked the god of war. Exactly, and so now we're at the cusp of a new era where who knows how these uncontrollable, chaotic new forces will will change the universe. So let's go back to an ancient sex worker. So let's start. Jerking off on, uh, uh, what was it? I, I missed the thing. On the talisman. Um, so he's doing these sexualized rites, and he's keeping in touch with Alistair Crowley, who I think is rolling his eyes and, you know, cabling his friends in New York saying, what is with this weirdo in Pasadena? <laughs> Parsons writes to Crowley, nothing seems to have happened. It's anticlimactic at first. Not no, Well, nothing more than a power outage. He
1: was looking for some results. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. He had very high expectations for his Prokofiev plus self-abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, however, then things start to happen. Uh, he enlists what, what, Lancaster Dodd to be his scribe in the rituals. So, uh, Dodd is there, you know, Dodd's famously purple prose is coming in handy for writing down what's happening and suggesting new kinds of conjuration and prayer. Um, on the night of January 14th, uh, Dodd notices a candle has been knocked from his hand. And Dodd calls Parsons over, and they see a brownish-yellow light seven feet tall floating in the kitchen of their Pasadena Lodge, which Parsons then banishes with a magical sword— Although Dodd's right arm is paralyzed for the rest of the night, now so apparently they do have ritual as you do. Oh. He, they have ritual swords on hand for whenever a weapon might be necessary in their in their rights.
1: See, this makes me feel validated, right? Because I do keep those swords around, and if there were to appear a seven foot tall golden lion in, yeah. in my kitchen, now you know what to do. Well, yeah. Well, I
0: might re- I might reach for an umbrella first, but a sword next. Uh, Do not reach for your wand and material basis. That appears to be what makes the problem worse. You want the sword in your umbrella stand. Um, The next night, Hubbard sees... Sorry, Lancaster Dodd reports that he sees a vision of one of Jack Parsons' enemy... Um, Parsons writes to Crowley, so Dodd attacked this figure, pinned it to the door with four throwing knives, with which he is expert. Say what? So Dodd is already spreading this kind of self-mythologizing about himself. Oh, yeah, yeah, in the Pacific, I got really good at these throwing knives. Thump,
1: thump, thump, thump. Just, like, pulled throwing knives out and pinned him to a door.
0: In the same letter, Parsons tells Crowley that... Uh, Dodd's guardian angel has showed up, a highly developed astral vision of a beautiful winged woman with red hair whom he calls the Empress who has guided him through his life and saved him many times. Now remember, at this point, uh, Dodd is just a pulp sci-fi writer. Yeah. He has not begun any kind of spiritual religious tax dodge tradition. Sure. Um, But he's already calling, he's already reporting that he has a beautiful red-headed guardian angel who is calling in the archangel Michael to guard us, is he also writing letters to Alister Crowley? No, Parsons is writing the things that Dodd is reporting. So it, okay. it, the implication is to be that Parsons is not seeing any of these things. Parsons in, is in charge of the of the masturbatory part of the evening, and then Dodd is like, "Oh, good news! Um, Isis is here, and she's nude. Uh, a hint figure of past, partly mistaken operations is visible to her right." So he's already also got this weird technical speak that becomes di- or Is any you know of this what?
1: part of the foundational mythology of science Uh
0: Yeah, I think it has to be. Okay, uh, you know, hidden, hidden, uh, a lodge with hidden knowledge where you get better and better secrets of the universe. Isis is there every time you uh, you you advance a level. I also mean, rock. I mean, you can see the history of Gnosticism and, and Hermetism yep. in the Church of S. Uh, he sees a rosewood box. He, he's, he describes these very ornate visions. A rosewood box with a string of green beads, a string of pearls with a black cross suspended in a rose. This is why you want a... a string s- of pearls. A pulp sci-fi, exactly. Mm-hmm. This is why you want a pulp sci-fi writer to be your scribe. They finally get up to uh, their climactic ritual, an operation of symbolic birth. And then they settle back to wait to see what happens. For four days, Parsons writes that he experiences tension and unease. Then, a few days later... He and the scribe, Lancaster Dodd himself, have driven into the Mojave Desert at sunset. He doesn't mention which substances are involved, but we can assume. Ketamine. Perhaps there's some some peyote or mescaline involved. Uh Then suddenly they both sense a feeling of tension snapping. And they get home, and they find at the doorway of their lodge a beautiful, green-eyed, red-haired elemental on their doorstep by the name of Marjorie Cameron— who says she is delighted, she is ready to begin participating in their rites. And when Parsons explains to her that he would like her to help him produce a new Thelemic Messiah, a new homunculus in living form resembling man and possessing those qualities of man which distinguish him from beast, namely intellect and power of soul, but neither begotten nor inhabited by a human soul, a moonchild basically. This is based on a, a fantasy novel actually that Crowley had written called Moonchild about a a, a, a mystical rite that produces a, um, a homunculus messiah pregnancy. How is there not a Led Zeppelin song called Moonchild? There must be. There isn't. Parenthesis homunculus <laughs> messiah pregnancy.
1: Uh, so is this just a neighbor lady that that was attracted by the sounds
0: of screaming, or this is LA in the forties? This appears to be a young girl who wandered off a bus and heard that this is where the this is where the the sex and drug crazies hang out.
1: Uh-huh,
0: okay. um, but when it's explained to her what her role will be in these rites, she is very excited. And I think, so it appears that Parsons conjuring his work, the Babylon working has brought him a woman to replace the one he lost to El, to, to like Dodd. And she's going to produce a moon child with him. And, and with, him, they will produce an heir. you know, the kind of a new God that will bring about this new age. So, so, and, and remember they're trying to invoke Babylon, this, this, the, you know the 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 horror from the Book of Revelation on the great beast and and this is what's going to you know they've got this is now the omen and Rosemary's Baby trope of we're going to produce the 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 pagan mystic occult child that will bring
1: about the next age. I'm going to go change some of the information on my Tinder profile because
0: this all reads a lot better than whatever I wrote. I love and, and Parsons kind of. Parsons treats this as a as a um, as a Tinder match. Uh-huh. He writes to Crowley. I seem to have my elemental. She turned up one night after the conclusion of the operation and has been with me since. She has red hair and slant green eyes, as specified.
1: As specified, swipe right. Wait a minute. This is the, the this is the plot of Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, the so they continue to perform. So he continues to perform rites with Marjorie Cameron, now as the the cup for his wand. The material basis would appear to be a mixture of his own seed, and uh, because it's a moon child... Star seed. Her her, uh, menstrual blood. uh, A mixing of these appears to be the... The the, secret, the, the secret that will create the new Messiah.
1: But wait a minute. If she's menstruating, it's going to be very hard for her to look, create a... Look, John, <clears throat>
0: are you not listening? <clears throat> the Thelemic Messiah is not to be begotten. I, it oh. will not have intellect or power of speech. It will not be... You know, this is the, the mystery of... of The Thelemic mysteries of the goddess Babylon that is producing the homunculus insider.
1: Got it, got it, got so it. So
0: he builds a new altar, and they get to work, as it were, and he becomes convinced that he has impregnated Cameron with this new moon child of the new um, millennium. Then, at this point, the Babylon working will continue with the homunculus. They're going to employ the new angelic language of Enoch, and they're going to open an interdimensional doorway, and the goddess Babylon is coming to Earth. Basically, he wants to open a gate to hell to bring about the last days, and I think your invoking of Hiroshima and Nagasaki is— right on the money here um and crowley apparently is aghast by this whole thing uh you know he uh well i mean i'm i'm skipping ahead they put rachmaninoff's isle of the dead on the gramophone um sure nothing heralds the the coming apocalypse like like Rachmaninoff. rachmaninoff and hubbard begins to babble about uh you know you know telling parsons what to I say, sorry, Dodd. That, that, that's consistent. <laughs> that, that, that verb is consistent. Begins to, begins to babble to Parsons, telling him what to do. Display thyself to our lady. Dedicate thy organs to her. Dedicate thy heart to her. She shall absorb thee. Thou shall become the living. F- Maybe I shouldn't say all this stuff because no. <laughs>
1: we're gonna
0: we're gonna not just anger the you know what, the the church of you know what, we're gonna bring about the new fifth age of Kali Yuga or something. Um Don maybe is having a good time here, having taken Parsons' wife. Now he's just, he'll do whatever he says. He makes him gaze into an empty box for an hour and then tell him what sacred design appears. Um, (laughs) This does feel like
1: a good time gone awry. I mean, if I were at this party, I think at this point I would start to moonwalk out the back door.
0: You want to moonwalk away from the moon child?
1: A little, a little.
0: Crowley writes to his New York uh, office. Apparently, Parsons or Ron or somebody is producing a Moonchild. I get fairly <laughs> frantic when I contemplate the idiocy of these louts. So he <laughs> <laughs> and imagine at this point, uh, Crowley looks a lot like Sidney Greenstreet in mm-hmm. Maltese Falcon. He's just an old, a, a old British guy, you know, looking looking down his nose at you. I get fairly frantic when I contemplate the idiocy of these louts. Uh, yeah, I mean
1: he's he's a, a nutter but he's like these nutters have, like, are even gone prints too far
0: now as we all know no moon child ever appeared in the do late we, 40s do we know that well that's the interesting part of this you know a lot of modern day conspiracy theory and ufology revolves around the idea that Hub, that dodd and parson's and their new muse marjorie cameron aka the Divine Babylon, goddess Babylon, actually did open some kind of portal, and actually did bring the old ones to our age. And it is f- the following year that pilot Kenneth Arnold sees the first flying saucer on Mount Rainier. So the dates are not sure crazy. Line up, huh? They so you know, and if you if you believe in this kind of strange angel intersectional idea that the alien encounters that are reported today are no different than the mystical encounters with jinn and fairies and burning bushes reported in the past, then, you know, why wouldn't it take a mystical tradition to bring these interdimensional beings to our front door and encourage them to, to probe our anuses? I would like just to point out, how, uh,
1: because I, I just Googled uh, Marjorie Cameron just to see what was going on, oh. and she is the spitting image of Catherine Hepburn.
0: Her Is that right? She looks just like Catherine. She Hepburn. Be- like Catherine Hepburn, she becomes a movie star. She appears in movies by the avant-garde filmmaker Kenneth Anger. Uh, and... Goes on to become a kind of an occult superstar based on her associations with with this Crowleyan movement.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, unfortunately, things do not go so well for our man Jack Parsons. Oh. He still has the heart. You know, he his heartbreak made him do something crazy, um, you know, or, or a series of eleven crazy invocations and masturbatory rituals. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, his head cleared after some of those moments,
1: right? And and that can happen. To anybody. That can happen.
0: And he realizes, what have I? What have I done? What have I been looking at here? Uh, and in fact, a lot of this comes to a head when Dodd betrays him yet again. He, oh. Dodd announces a plan, a crazy plan to you know buy some yachts in Florida. He's a he's a seafaring man, as we all know. Sure. Uh, sail them through the Panama Canal and sell them at a big profit to uh, unnamed California buyers. But halfway there, he was like. Wait a minute. What if I stay at sea forever and found, I, I and a, found a self-help movement? <laughs> and, well, what he does, in fact, is he gets all of Parsons' money into this scheme, and then he disappears with both the yachts and Betty, Parsons' child non-bride. So are you saying that Parsons
1: funded, initially funded the, the Cherche de la The,
0: Cherche de la the, the, C, the C of S? I don't know if any of the specific yachts that Parson's money went to became the same ones that, you know, because Dodd was already a sailor yeah, yeah and right. loved the sea. Right. Um, so I don't know if any of these are the same yachts. But yeah, the idea, he seems to have been there on the ground floor for this idea that that there should be a, a floating navy of, uh, of mystical thought and science fiction um, daring do. Because at a certain point, the
1: dates are going to tell the story, right? There's... It enters into the historic record at some point.
0: Yeah, I mean, you have to register. The you have to register these boats. I feel like yeah. this this would be your angle on the story. You would get very into the shipping the shipping records.
1: Yeah, yeah, making phone calls to I, I totally harbor masters. I didn't even
0: think about the merchant marine side of this story. Um, so Parsons begins a messy decline, exacerbated by his drug and alcohol abuse, and now as we've as I've hinted, exa- you know, exacerbated by the House on american Activities Committee which is starting to find the idea of cuz he's still trying to work on the fringes of the defense industry and working in labs and um and now he's got this connection to a black magic sex cult which starts to look like a little a little bit a little bit pink in does, the early yeah. 50s does he still have some science in him he does he still wants to make you know you know he's he's starting to see it all happen you yeah, know right. like we're getting close to Sputnik here like the the nazi missiles on london suddenly got the American military interested in rocketry for its own sake and not just as a way to get airplanes off the ground faster. And suddenly there's so much money to be made in rocketry. It's clear that space is the future and the final frontier for On Tier.
1: Sure, no, we got all these rehabilitated Nazis walking around in Pasadena now. If
0: you can rehabilitate <laughs> Werner Von Braun, surely you can rehabilitate a guy who used to who used to yeah. jerk off onto a goat's head or yeah, to open a portal to a or, Satan world or, or to wife swap with El with um, Lancaster Dodd in but he insists to the House on American Activities Committee that in fact Crolean thought is the opposite of communism it's all about do what thou wilt yeah it's about the the rugged heinleinian libertarian individualist yeah unfortunately this argument does not convince Huack which takes away his um what do you what do you call him your his Defense credentials, yeah. His defense, his his
1: uh, classified right, status. The status.
0: Yeah, he loses his his, his quasi military status. Oh, what a drag!
1: Um, we need more Satanists in the space program, <laughs> says says C- Congressman John Roderick.
0: Would that be the whole of your platform? More Satanists <laughs> in the space in the space program would be the whole of the law. The uh, Betty has now run off with. With uh, Elrond? No, with Lancaster, yes, with Lancaster Dodd. Okay. So now he's lost the love of his life, and they are founding Scientology together. In fact, Lancaster uh, Lancaster Dodd and his wife and Betty are now the happy throuple around which the C of S, the coalescing movement of self-help is beginning to... Form. Do they also live in a bungalow in Pasadena? You have to imagine that they might own one, but spend most of their time at a, in a yacht at Marina del Rey?
1: I did not realize that polyamory was going to play such a large role in A, the space program, and B, Scientology.
0: But in hindsight, doesn't it make sense it that any, any of these charismatic guys are they really have one thing on their mind when they start a cult? And it's not— uh, Life and girlfriend. <laughs> I guess they have two things on their mind when they when they start a cult.
1: I mean, that's literally the reason you would start a cult.
0: I think that appears to be at the back. Or at least once they start to get followers and enough of them are sevens or eights, it starts to cross their mind. (laughs) Um, Uh,
1: New York seven, cult
0: eight. (laughs) Pasadena seven, Marina Del Rey. So, um, unfortunately, Jack Parsons really is on the downslide at this point. He winds up like bootlegging nitroglycerin. Uh, like delivering offshore nitroglycerin, to smuggling nitroglycerin to unsavory parties. It's funny because— He wants the, some of it for his experiments, but he also knows somebody who needs it for, you know, who knows what.
1: In a Jack Parsons life story, like, that's him hitting the skids. But for me, that's my highest ambition. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, he's also working as a, ga- a gas station attendant. He's working at a hospital orderly. It's less glamorous than it seems to be a nitroglycerin smuggler in, oh. in Pasadena in the early 50s. John, if I write a science
1: fiction novel, the main character will be a, a nitroglycerin smuggler, for sure. His
0: story ends abruptly on June 17, 1952, with an explosion at his home lab, Oh. R- removing him from, from history. Oh, no. He blew himself up? He blew himself up. And there's many—even at the time, and now from conspiracy theorists, lots of suspicions of foul play— Suicide Um, squad. But in fact, yeah, exactly. This is a guy who's been blowing himself up for, blowing things up for decades. And he's still trying to make that, that breakthrough at his workbench with all kinds of unstable chemicals. Wait, did he blow up the Pasadena bungalow too? No, at this point, no. At this point, I think he has, at least the house survives. He's in a, he's down on his luck. I'm imagining him in some kind of awful rented room somewhere. Yeah. Um, Is that Pasadena bungalows like currently occupied by two yuppie lawyers? I believe it's now condos. I looked this up, and it appears to be condos. And I've driven through that part of town accidentally, trying to get back on the highway. And yeah, it's almost certainly a lovely gay couple and their cat who have no idea about the the, uh, the eldritch energies that once pulsated there. Can
1: you imagine? You're just like, wow! Every every time I wake up in the morning, there's this seven foot tall brown golden figure in the in the corner.
0: What should I do? And these guys don't own a sword, is the tragedy.
1: And that concludes The Babylon Working, entry 088.RV1703, certificate number 36297 in the Omnibus. Uh, But, Ken, I don't remember the words, The
0: Babylon Working, ever appearing in the show. I think we did say The Babylon Working. What is The Babylon Working? Well, Babylon is the name of the goddess you're trying to conjure. And a working is kind of a chaos magic term for a religious invocation or I conjuration. See. I see. Okay. It, it, it does make it sound kind of quasi scientific. Yeah. We're not doing a spell. Come no, on. No. This is the Babylon. This is the 20th working. century. We're in Pasadena. We're doing a working. A working.
1: Uh, Futurelings in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are archived at Omnibus Project our handles were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. I've been sneaking on, uh, social media a lot lately no. to follow the no, war no
0: no 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 in
1: ukraine and you texted me the other day in the middle of the night saying get off twitter exclamation point
0: you had just tweeted back at me i tweeted at this you. Is, this, this is like a we need an intervention first time in 18 months i
1: tweeted at anybody and now i'm actually <laughs> faving people's posts no. sometimes yeah i am
0: no I'm, I'm, I'm clicking fave can't i be your twitter sponsor like can't you like call me up and be like can i gotta I'm feeling the urge to post yeah and i'm like john don't do it don't post i need to i need to not post no good comes of it but anyway if you
1: want to if you want to watch me uh like jonesing and falling off the wagon (laughs) look at john roderick and see who i've faved recently see which which ukrainian master sergeant i've faved their post um you can email us at the omnibus project at gmail.com you can hang out with other futurelings laughing at our misfortune at any social media place where you put the word "futurelings" into the search bar. You can, uh, mail us actual things, actual items in the, in the post at P O box five, five, seven, four, four shoreline, Washington, nine, eight, one, five, five USA. Uh, like, Ken, it sounds like you were opening a box
0: over there. What you are going to enjoy this. The postcard says, ad astra per aspera. Oh, nice. Do you know what that means? Sure. Do you know anything about this slogan? Yeah. All right. <laughs> I, also, I do as well, and I'll tell you what I know. It's, okay. It means to the stars through hardship. Um, you'd think it would be the slogan of like NASA or Jet Propulsion Laboratories. In fact, it's the motto of the state of Kansas. This is a note from Jacob in Lawrence, Kansas, who says that his parents and other civic-minded folks... Of Beloit, Kansas, in the 80s and 90s, while serving on the Art Council, used to put on a big Chautauqua festival. I which do like that. Apparently Beloit had a Chautauqua park, and they brought back the uh the annual Chautauqua, which was kind of a what a 19th-century TED talk. Mm-hmm. Uh Jacob says he remembers being intrigued by the notion of the original Chautauquas, and he hopes we'll consider it as an omnibus topic. He sent us some period photos. Of the kinds of concerts and art galleries that were present at the Chautauqua, the Beloit, and, Kansas Chautauquas of the by
1: period, 80s. you mean taken in 2004, right at the end of film. They're, those aren't period, like, from 1884.
0: No, but these are from the 80s and 90s when his parents were putting on this arts festival. Oh, I like uh, it. Uh, I think, let's see what kind of hairstyles we see here. You know, per
1: aspera ad astra I mean, is more than just the motto of the state of Kansas. It's,
0: uh... Well, it comes from classical times, I assume. But it's used as the motto of
1: many um, of many entities.
0: For example, well, <clears throat> I mean, there was recently that Ad Astra film with Brad Pitt, which
1: uh, the which the Duchy of it.
0: Mecklenburg-Schwerin, oh, of course, uh, uses it. Do you think Kansas stole it from the Duchy of Mecklenburg-Schwerin? Mm, probably, we got it from the city of Gouda in the Netherlands. That's the motto of Gouda. mm Hmm. Shouldn't that be like to the
1: cheese through hardship? (laughs) It's the motto of the Department of Civil Aviation in Thailand. Uh, It's uh, the motto of the National Defense Academy of
0: Latvia. Also, uh, the house order of the Vendish crown. It is the canonical uh, only Latin phrase known by Garrison Keillor in his Prairie Home Companion persona.
1: It appears in To Kill a Mockingbird and A Portrait of the Artist as a
0: Young Man. Do you know the Do you know the band Acceptance, Seattle pop-punk band Acceptance? Yes, I do. Did you know they have a song called Ad Astra Per Aspera or possibly Per Aspera Ad Astra? Nice. Um, anyway, but in addition, this is what you're going to like. Jacob sent us a bunch of period Chautauqua buttons every year from the Beloit, Kansas Chautauqua. What's the oldest one? Well, like the 80s and 90s. Let me see. Now, our international listeners would call these badges. Oh, the, you're right; these are not buttons. This is a 200. This is a bicentennial of the Constitution, so that's got to be 87, 86. That's when I graduated from high school. I, th- I like to look at that. I think you will really. Oh, sorry, I just yeah. threw it on the floor. I just. Think, I think you will really enjoy the. Uh, oh, I do the homemade a uh, boy scout vibe of these badges or buttons. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you, Jacob. For sending us your collection of Chautauqua. And have you been thinking about doing a Chautauqua show for years like I have? I have. Someday, Jacob. Someday, after Hot Air Balloons. Uh, and finally, if you
1: love Omnibus, as we know you do, and if you uh, want to support the show, we do not typically support the show by conjuring ancient sex goddesses. We do not have our own rocket program yet yet.
0: We're, uh, we're against, I'm against both those things.
1: We have not. I'm against
0: sex goddesses and rockets.
1: We have not started a phony religion uh, slash self help movement yet. Yet.
0: But it does appear to be very profitable. See, that's what I'm saying. Even with, even with only a handful of members, 25,000 members worldwide, you can still make a go of it <laughs> as long as some of them are in the Mission Impossible movies.
1: As long as at one point you bought a lot of real estate in Los Angeles. <laughs> uh, but you can help support the show and help us get our crazy schemes off the ground. By uh, supporting us at Patreon.com/OmnibusProject, there are a lot of benefits that come uh,
0: associated with supporting the show. Wait, what are we doing? Why are we not revealing secret knowledge at every le- at every increasing level of of uh, Patreon support? We could start doing that. We well, absolutely You and I could. have so much secret knowledge. What would it be though? Like what what is actual? Because it would it would have to be good secret knowledge. Like we would actually have to say. um you know, like at the the problem is you've confessed everything on a podcast already. We can't mm, be like at the five dollar level. John <laughs> will tell you about uh, every Halloween costume he's ever worn. At <laughs> no, the ten dollar level, he'll tell you about his first kiss. You know, at the at the ten dollar level, I will read a chapter from a Harlan
1: Ellison novel <laughs> <laughs> every month and I will leave in all the problematic parts.
0: I love how you correctly assume who our average listener is.
1: (laughs) There's so many people that are like, would he really do that? Hey,
0: weird (laughs) 58-year-old men who have been to science fiction
1: conventions.
0: (laughs) I would sign up for that. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe of fear may never come, but if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. At this point, I think the city of Gouda would wish you many goods and cheese. They would. But instead, (laughs) instead, if providence allows, we wish that you'll be back with us soon for another entry in the omnibus.